my, me and my nine pages of notes here, you know, need you to stand up for a moment. Because I'm going to read a bunch of scripture to you. I don't want you to be falling asleep as I read this scripture. Because the scripture I'm going to read, I've got two pages of scriptures here that I'm just going to read for you. Uh, because it, uh, rather than doing it intermittently as we go. James chapter 1 says this, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Ephesians chapter 5 says this, Wives, submit to your husbands as, to the Lord, as unto the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word, that he may present her to himself as a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, but as the, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones." For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. John, I'm going to wonder how all these fit together. You will see in a moment, Garth. John chapter 8 and verse 31. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Matthew chapter eight, finally, and verse 18, Jesus came to his disciples. I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am always with you, even to the end of the age. You may be seated. Let me just focus on a couple of things here. Uh, one of them is uh, from Ephesians chapter 5, as I read there, the husband, you know, uh, no, let's say, let's start off right. Wives, submit to your husbands. We like that part better. Um, that whole part there, it says, this is a mystery but what I'm talking about is how Jesus and the church are related together, right? So we use those scriptures, very valuable scriptures for us as we understand marriage and all those other things. But we understand our relationship with Jesus by understanding the relationship that we have covenant in our marriage together. Isn't that true? Um, and then Jesus goes on to tell us that the, the truth, now following his instructions... Let me just, let me, let me go to Matthew chapter 28. We spent the early part of the ministry, uh, back, this is now 20 years ago, focusing on the, the make disciples, right? Many of you are part of that program here where, you know, we weren't interested in raising up a big church. We were interested in raising up big people. 
And so the discipleship part of the ministry, all of those, those places where it was like, you know, we're going to work at this until we can figure out how to become transformed people. Part of that process was understanding that dealing with the creature self, this, this fear, dread, and selfishness created image that we have of ourselves was our mortal enemy. This was our problem. This fella that I created because I was weak, vulnerable, and alone, or at least I thought I was, I had to create this persona of strong and powerful and able and confident and all of these type of things. You realize that after a while, not long, walking with God, that he's after that creature. He wants to shoot that thing because he knows, even though I'm being authentic, it's a beautiful word in our culture right now, I'm being authentic, but I'm being authentic to the wrong thing. I need to be authentic to who I actually am, not the guy who I've created and I want you to think I am. So we found that this water baptism thing became a critical part of our journey as a Christian. You don't pick up Jesus on the way and keep going, right? You got to go back to the born again. You go back to the beginning and you have to start over. The first time you did it, you were your own boss and you were going to figure everything out because you were smart enough to do that. Then you get to a place where you realize, well, that was a mistake. And you got to find someone who does know what they're talking about and follow them. That's what it is. But you got to go back. That's what the self issue is. I got to get rid of the creature, start all over again. Water baptism is that start all over again place. A lot of times, and Christianity has maybe done this, is that we have said Christianity is about making disciples. It is that, but it's not only that. That's not the end goal. Jesus was not looking for Peter, James, and John to follow him around picking up baskets of food. They did that, but that wasn't his objective. That wasn't his end game. Do you know what I'm saying there? Baptism, the death of self, is also not the end game where we have done that, right? You've heard of church history type of things, and, you know, my objective is to become nothing, right? To become nobody, to become invisible, to become, uh, you know, null and void. It's my place as my humble self to be absolutely nothing ever. That's not true. You got to go through that because the creature has got to die. You got to get rid of that guy because he's the guy that's making you miserable and ugly and sick and broke and that's him. His way of thinking, you know, in my life of his, in your life maybe not of his, maybe you go. The, the, that's the person who's making me miserable, who's making me complain and murmur and is never good enough and hating everybody. And so Jesus wants to get rid of that guy, start all over again, but that's not the objective. The objective is the third part, and it's got this crazy word in it. He says, teach them to obey all these things which I have commanded you. That's actually the objective. Why is that the objective? You got to ask yourself that. He finished with that. I'm going to, you know, make disciples, get rid of self, and then teach them to obey all these things which I have commanded you. That sounds a lot like what we just talked about in Ephesians there, where it says husband, uh, wives who we are, BTW, right? We are the bride of Christ. The church is the bride of Christ. And our job as the bride is to learn how to obey our husband. Do you see that? 
I, I don't know why I want to share this with you. I have never talked about eschatology because I just don't, that's just not my thing. But I, I'm just going to say this much. You know when you deal with, anybody ever heard of the rapture? You know, I've never taught on that stuff here, but you've all heard of that stuff, right? I, it's, it's not, it's, I don't teach on it because it's not a major theme of the Bible. And so it is there, it's real. And, you know, if you want to study it, go on and study it. But it's not a major theme. And so, but it is important in this sense that the rap, if you look at the end of, which could be tomorrow, and it also could be a million years from now, I don't know, right? And we're not going to talk about that part today. What I am going to talk about is the significance of this event. The, if you look just the quick little run through of what happens at the rapture of the church, how many people have never heard of the rapture, don't know what that is? Zippity do, right on for major, for broadcast television. So the, the rapture of the church happens. What happens after the rapture of the church? Does anybody remember? Where do we go after the rapture of the church? We go to the Bema seat, right? Have you ever heard of the Bema seat? The white throne judgment, have you heard of those things? The Bema seat, it's not a, it's not a judgment seat like a, a court. It's a judgment seat like at the Olympics, okay? So it's not going to be doling out judgment. It's going to be doling out medals, awards, and so you go to the Bema seat. Nobody should be afraid of the Bema seat well, because either you're not going to be there, which <laughs> I guess I would be worried about that. But if you're there, you don't have to worry about it. Let's put it like that. Okay. Then after the Bema seat, there is what? Does anybody know what happens next? It's a meal. Does anybody know what that meal is called? The wedding supper of the, the lamb, the bride. So it's the, it's the dinner that the church is going to have with its husband, Jesus. And that's going to take this season right there. So the major culminating event of human history is going to be the marriage supper, that we are going to be raptured to heaven in order to attend. Do you see how important this thing is? The whole bride of Christ thing, even though it's not mentioned a whole lot of times in the New Testament, it is a very important eschatological position. And so, and then, you know, the, then, the, then, you know, meanwhile, we're up, up in heaven. We're doing the, you know, party at the marriage, you know, it's, uh, what do you call them nowadays? You used to call it reception. And that, uh, down here on earth is the Antichrist and all that, you know, goo that's going to be going on down here. And then at the end of the dinner... Jesus, with us, come back. We zippity-doo-dah on the, on the Antichrist and all that stuff. And we set up the thousand-year reign of Jesus here on the earth. That's the family now. Jesus and his bride are honeymooning here on earth. Do you see how important it is that we, un that we get the concept of what does it mean to be the bride of Christ? What does it mean to learn why Jesus, when he was here, he says these final, right before his ascension, he says these final words, teach them to obey all those things which I have commanded you. And how many of you say, you know that those words you said there, submit, uh, 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 submit, remain faithful, and obey. See, those are not things that we automatically think are awesome. And so what we need to do is we need to realize, I wonder whether Jesus 
knew that we were going to struggle here. And that's why he said, you need to become a disciple. You need to get rid of self. And then you need to learn, study, be intense about obeying. He's saying, wow, this, you got to have a lot of work. Because, you know, if you go to pastor school, they tell you, if you're going to end up pastoring a church, there's just three words that you cannot use. You know what those words are? Submit, remain faithful, and obey. Just preach anything you like. Just don't preach those things. They will leave. But Jesus thought this was super important. Because if we don't do that, if we don't learn how to be the bride, then we're putting into jeopardy, uh, or not even putting into jeopardy. Maybe we didn't even know. We didn't even know this is what Christianity was about. And then we blithely go along and finding out that all of a sudden, zippity-doo, you know, Captain Kirk comes and gets everybody and leaves us here. And I'm thinking, I, how many say, I, yeah, I'd, li I'd like to stay through that tribulation time just to see what it's like. You know, it's an experience and all. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. We got to go. Because that's not, that's not our time. So important then, the title, title of today's teaching is, when do I get the pin? When do I get the pin? Because what's important in this whole thing is understanding that what Paul is sharing with us from his experience is what does it take to go from stranger to wife? And if you understood, you, most of you have done it or watched somebody do it. So we don't have too much excuse to say, I don't really know how that happens. I think they just met one day over, you know, wrote an email to each other and all, next thing you know, they're getting married. no. That, I mean, sometimes it happens like that, but I don't recommend that. There's more. How many of you say there's more involved in this process so that we can begin to understand why is it that in the church as it exists today with this, you know, everybody's got a Bible or access to one, and yet we don't have the kind of stuff going on in our world that we would say we should have going on. We got great Stephen stuff is phenomenal. The I believe in mere phenomenal. What's going on in your life? Phenomenal. But we're not by any means a representative sample of what's going on in the earth today. By any means. Why? Knowing that God is desperate for the, his ways to become the ways that govern the whole planet. What we have to realize is if we go back and we look for the clues, how does somebody get from stranger to married? Now, not married, happily married, you know, 18 months later. No, happily married 65 years later. Still chasing her around the house 30 years later. How do you, no, that's, that's fine. You know, that, that doesn't happen a lot. Can I tell you, it doesn't happen a lot even in the church. We stay together because we ought to, but we don't always represent the happiest couple picture. Maybe on ch at church on Sunday you do, but no, I'm listening on the video at Tuesday how things are going. How many of you know that that's an that's issue? So if we were to go back and we would say, okay, Jesus, teach me about what this means to go from stranger to married because you're going to find out that it's not a whole lot different than what God wants to do with each one of us. And we're going to study a bit of that. Before I start studying it, I want to say this. It, there's, there's a concept inside of Christianity. 
if you understand anything about God, you have to understand this concept. God is not like you. He's not. You are made in his image. He is not made in yours. Can I tell you something? When we try to understand this concept of covenant, we have to understand that God is an eternal being. He does not have measures like I'm going to talk to you about today. Can, just to confirm things. When did Jesus, when did God save you? Was it the day you prayed a prayer at the altar? No. Was it the day Jesus died on the cross 2,000 years ago? No. When was it? Before the fact, excuse me. Do you mean to tell me that God knew you were going to be a, uh, a bad person, but he loved you even before he created you knowing that you were going to be not an awesome person. You know that? When did he put Jesus on the cross? Before the, when did he know he needed to put Jesus on the cross? Before the foundations of, he already knew that you were going to be a knucklehead. Because he already planned to put Jesus on the cross before he even started any of this stuff. Why would he do that? Because he what? He loved you. Now, there it is. Boom. That's when your brain goes. There's no question, absolutely no question, one, that God is God. Because everybody else is made up. Right? It's just human attributes that we put to God. When you think about God, the eternal God, of course he is like the God of the Bible. Of course he's love. He's not angry. He's not vengeful. He's not absent. He's not in those things. If he was those things, he would be smart enough to never have done this. He could even decide today, nah, and pow, we'd all disappear and never knew we existed. He would just go back to the beginning and not do it. God's love for us, his covenant, I will give you everything that you need, God, has always existed. God has never changed. He did not start loving you when Jesus died on the cross. Hmm. Do you know that in order for Jesus to die on the cross, he had to write the Old Testament because Jesus was the word. Is that correct? Yes. So that means in order to get Jesus here, God needed to do the Moses thing. In order to do the Moses thing, God had to do the Abraham thing. In order to do the Abraham thing, God needed to do the Adam thing. Right? right? All of this has already been set in motion in order to rescue you through Jesus. It has been done from the beginning of time. God has never changed. He's never become a different person, ever. He has always been madly and desperately in love with you. So much so, he was desperately and madly in love with you before you even existed. He was a, you were a thought and he loved you so much that he was already putting Jesus on the cross before, before, that's not a concept God knows, but before the foundations of the earth, God was already rescuing you from the mistakes that you were gonna make that you didn't even make yet. So can I tell you something? There, is, there should be no question in a Christian's mind of God's 
absolutely overwhelming love for you. He is at the maximum covenant level in his relationship with you. But can I tell you something? There is a terrible reality in relationships. How many of you have seen The Princess Bride? The second greatest movie ever, ever made. I mean, if you're looking for chick flicks, that's where I'd go right there, okay? Because it's got a good amount of guy stuff in it too. It's a beautiful story. How many of you remember the story? Have you all seen the story? You need to go home and watch this story. It's just a, a great story. Wesley, the guy, loves whoever the girl is. I'm sorry, I forgot who she was, but she's a girl. Anyways, there's a lesson for our world right there. And so there's, and he loves her, but she doesn't have the time of day for him. He's a farm boy. She's the, the, the farmer's whatever, the master's daughter, whatever. So she's not even, didn't even know he existed, but he loved her and would do anything for her. He was at that level, like where God is, I'll do anything for you. You are my covenant person. But can I tell you something? What's that? Princess Buttercup, no wonder I forgot. The, this is the terrible reality about relationships. Relationships go as deep as the shallowest person in the relationship. Mm. Here we go. Mm. Relationships go as deep as the shallowest person in the relationship. So, given the fact that God is nuclear deep in the relationship, who may be? Would you venture a guess? Who may be the shallowest person in your relationship with God? Potentially, let's say. Are we willing to admit that? It might be you. Is that not true? Don't all relationships go like that? I mean, you can try and push a little bit, but then you're getting creepy, right? You try to push her, you know, try to make her. You know, anybody tried to do a date like that? How many have ever tried to make a girl go on a date with you? Man, you out. You're not only out today, man. You are out forever because you're creepy. Isn't that, isn't that, girls, can you support me anywhere here? Can you, uh, yeah, that's, that's not right. In our relationship with God, he is on fire in love with you. But his relationship with you is governed by you. The deeper you are, he, you ain't ever going to go deeper than he's at. He's always going to be calling you down a couple meters or two. Because he's always, forever, going to be deeper than you. He's always going to be more invested than you are. I don't know if we're ever going to catch up. He's got a heck of a head start, eternity and all, you know. So it's like he's way ahead of this game. Our relationship, that's why it's so great. Our relationship with God here on this planet is a desperate search to just go a little bit deeper. Experience, like you think it's awesome now. Stephen, where are you, man? You think it's awesome now. Go another year, right? How many of you would say, come on, Stephen, go another year. You haven't got there. And we're going to keep on. How many of you say to your neighbor, go another year. You can get deeper still, right? 
How many of you are happy to get to where you are right now? Right? Imagine what it's like another couple meters down. It keeps getting better and better and better. I, you know, I've been, I, Tina and I have been talking a lot about this lately. I think that's what Jess is saying about this covenant teaching. You know, you get, every time you get a little bit deeper, it's like, I never even knew there was this place. I never even knew you could feel like this. You know, that, and we're not, we're still, we're still in the upper waters. We're still trying to figure out, so it's a marriage? Is that what you're saying? Here's, here's, let's, let's go at it. Okay, marriage relationships. So the shallowest person. But I need to tell you this. This is not a forced relationship. There are teachings and cultures that do not help us understand our position as the church in our relationship to our husband. We are not called to serve a domineering and demanding husband. So if you think God is domineering and demanding, you haven't thought it through. Can I tell you, if God wanted you to kneel, you think he might have the tools to do that? You think God wanted you to be on in Australia right now? Do you think he would have the tools to do that? He might have the ability to zippity-doo you to Mars, but he doesn't. He is not, we think he's demanding because that's how we've been taught. But he is by no means demanding. Do you know that I could walk out into the parking lot and cuss God and there would not be a lightning? Well, hopefully there would not, but more than likely, any more than there would be if I was not cursing God. I could stand out in the parking lot and let it fly. You know, I have. So I, am a, I know that I didn't get zapped. You know, he wouldn't do nothing about that. You know why? Because he's not going to force anybody to do this. Do you know, you know, this is not arranged marriage. You know, arranged marriages, you know, I wonder if they're even marriages because I, I think there needs to be consent. A legal contract is required that you have consent. Anyhow, where are my hair? We're, not, we're also not punished by God if we don't obey. People think that you get punished if you don't obey. That's, God's not going to punish you at all. This is completely an opt-in place. Everything about relationship is always opt-in, a real relationship. I can force you. No, I can't. I can force you to do some stuff. I can maybe get my leaders at this church. They made commitments to do certain things, and I can kind of push them a little bit to do those things. But real relationship doesn't need coercion. And if it does have coercion, it's not really a good relationship. Relationships should be based on different things, particularly these kind of relationships, not your job. You know, your boss tells you what to do, whatever the cop, you need to do what he says, you know, the government, all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. But that's different than the relationship you have with your friends. You know, if Richard comes over, he wants me to help him move and he comes over with his black belt on. (laughs) Mm, Right? You'd wonder about, wouldn't you? I mean, I'm sure he would never do that, but you know what I mean? Sometimes we think that God forces us to do these things. God, and you gotta, we got to cleanse that out because it makes us fearful, right? It's like me saying, would you like to go for an ice cream or saying you must eat this ice cream. <laughs> if I must eat it, why must I eat it? Did you poison it? Right? You start to become afraid if I must eat it. 
right? And you'd, be, you'd, you'd reject it, yeah. right? It's like telling a little kid, you have to eat, eat this. They don't want to just because they have to. Even if it's ice cream, well, maybe not quite that far, but. We opt in. That's the key here. It always is opt in. This is not an arranged marriage. You are given the choice of how deep into the relationship you want to go. You are not punished. A punish, by punishment, I mean a negative consequence that is unilaterally forced upon you by God. Like, you know, if uh, we're some, John, right? So John does not please me. And, somebody, and so the next thing I know, I just go, bam, hit him on my hand. He didn't ask me to hit him. I just hit him unilaterally, made the decision myself. God never does that. Ever, 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 ever does that. He is always interested in your decision as to whether you would like to do this or not. If you do not want to do it, this is where so many Christians get into trouble. If you do not want to do it, God's totally cool with that. Because you set the depth of the relationship. That's what's key here. And if you can let, let the, you know, let him ask of God, if you need wisdom, let him ask of God and he will give this to you. Where we break free from these religious concepts that God is somehow, you know, sneaking the whole deal in order to force me to bend a knee. He is never doing that. Matter of fact, he wants you like you do with your relationships. You want those relationships eyes wide open particularly if you're going to thinking about marrying the person. You want eyes. How many of you say, I'd like to go in blind to all of this because I'm sure it'll turn out well in the end. Anybody think like that, right? Because we have marriage classes you definitely need to go to. How many of you say, no, we both want eyes wide open, right? If you go to our marriage class here, we give you 120 questions. Number 13, doozy. Why do we do that? Because I want you to talk about everything. I want eyes wide open on every... Isn't that what you want? That's the best way of having a relationship, right? Okay, good. Uh, So if you decide to go no further in the relationship, God's cool with that. We come up to this, it's good. Next, if you want to slow things down, God's good with that too. If you want to drop the whole thing, God's okay with that. That sometimes is like, no, no, no. If I don't go to church, God's going to punish me. No, he ain't. Did he punish you for skipping last time? No. God does not want you coming to church because you have to. He, really, he doesn't. I don't want Tina to come and kiss me because I tell her to. Well, not always. I, sometimes I... <laughs> bad example. But how many of you know it means a lot more when she just wants to kiss me? Isn't that true? That's how God is. And he's a lot smarter than us. He wants us to opt in. He wants us to desire it. The hu- Here's the thing. The husband is the bee. But we are the flower. A Song of Solomon, I would have put that in there because it was a really awesome metaphor. He didn't use that, but that's what he's talking about. Jesus is the pursuer. He's the husband. You know, we get it upside down. Women pursue men in our world. Girls, uh uh-uh, don't do that. If he don't want to pursue you, let the boy go. Anyways, the husband is the bee. He is the pursuer. The woman is the flower. 
How many of you know if bees go to leaves? Do they go to bark? Do they go to garbage? No, no, no. They go to? Well, if there's sugar there, that's not exactly garbage. That's recyclable if there's sugar in it. What's the point here? The point here is that when, in order for us to, whose, whose job is it for the relationship to go deeper? It's the man. The women, woman should not be the person who is pushing the relationship deeper. If you do that, you're going to get to the, to the I do, and you're going to end up walking out of the church with a completely different person than you thought you were walking out with. Instead, you let the man draw you deeper. You, they, are, they entice you in, in a, in a normal human relationship. I'm not saying the woman has no, no responsibility. She does. Her responsibility as a flower is to look beautiful and to look, to be, uh, this sounds so misogynistic as I'm thinking it through here. <laughs> um, yikes. I, uh, is this one of those stop digging times, you know, in our lives? No, it's not. I got to get through this because there is, some, there is a very important piece of the equation here. Yes, yes, this is one of those think-before-you-say-anything moments. Uh, what's the right way to talk about this? Okay, let's talk about boy meets girl. Uh, you go on a couple, you, 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 have, you, you, you meet at a party. How do you know that you should ask her out for dinner? How do you know? I mean, some guys just ask everybody. Uh, that's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> Pass out business cards, you know, hope somebody, you know, and maybe there's a... No, no, I'm talking about how do you know? You know, there's something there, right? right. Like you meet somebody and it's like, hmm, right? How many of you know that hmm is two-way street? Guy, ah, uh, this is terrible. Let's go on, guy. You know, guys will pretty much date anybody. I hate to tell you. That's just, it's the way we were made. But girls won't. Girls are only interested in dating people that there is a hmm that goes along with it. Otherwise, you just, there's the hand, bro. Isn't that, uh, girls, can you work with me a little bit here? I am in deep already, so you need to kind of give me some <laughs> feedback here. <laughs> is, uh, am I lying to you? No. no, I'm telling you how it is. Guys, often guys don't understand this. That's why they struggle with relationships because they don't get it. Girls are only interested in going to dinner if they see there's something there. And the guy can tell because all of a sudden the eyes go, cling. That's it. You missed, you missed that? No, you're done. <laughs> right? That's the, you know, because this is terrible because I'm, I'm, I'm going to explain how you uh, hit on a girl, if that's okay with you. Not that I would know from my 60-year-old extensive experience. I've been married for 30, uh, some 35 years, and so I don't hit on a whole lot of women anymore. So. But not to say that I don't remember perhaps a few tricks, okay? And so I should have quit five minutes ago, I think. Point, what's the point? The point that I'm trying to make 
is you say hello to the girl, shake my hand. I, you're mad at, maybe you're mad at me now, so I'll just, okay, I'll just <laughs> shake my hand. So you know you can shake your hand, and then there's, well, just watch this. I'm gonna say, can you tell the difference what happened here? I'll shake my hand, hi, how are you? And then there's another one, hi, how are you? But do you notice the difference? See, I didn't let go. What does that mean? Now, she can kind of fight her way away. <laughs> what did I know? You're a creep. You're a creep, and you got to go. Forget asking her for dinner because she ain't going. If she would have been going, you would have taken her hand and she'd have been okay with you hanging on for a second or two later. Yes. I'm telling you this not because I want all of you guys hitting on all of you girls. I don't want you to do that. I'm trying to say there is a response is the key. As the wife... Jesus is pursuing us, but it's creepy for me to keep pursuing you if you're not interested. Do you see that? If I don't get it, I'm going to throw a couple of sparks your way. Hey. <laughs> I didn't have a lot of dates. You, I, I know you're struggling. Why I didn't have any, okay? I'm lucky to have got this girl, man. I got her to the altar as fast as I could. Hey, right? So work with me here for crying out loud. I need you to understand something because it's critical in understanding our, our role as the church. Because it's beautiful to say Jesus is pursuing me, but if I don't ever give him any hey back, it's inappropriate for him to keep coming after me, calling me over. How many of you say he's just not that into you? It's appropriate how many of you know Jesus is super appropriate? He's British in this way. He knows forks go on the left and knives go on the right, okay? And so he's very appropriate about how he does this relationship thing. What we need to understand is that in our relationship, if we don't have a response, if we don't pull on the rope, if we don't smile... Hey, what's your name? We don't give him some response like that. He backs off. He says, no, 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 yeah, no, this one. Winks at all his buddies, you don't, mm -mm. But you can learn, right? You can learn about these relationships and how we live as a Christian when we understand there's this dance that we do as we are coming into relationship with Jesus, because relationship is what this is about. Just because I know of, of a guy who, you know, somewhere, his name is Jesus, something or other, Christ, I think his last name is, does not mean I have a relationship with him. As I go through this journey of discovering the phases of the relationship to go from stranger to married, I can realize that there are a lot of things that we think we get at the beginning, you know, it's, it's uh, am I, is that because I'm done? Yes, I am. Okay. I, I titled it, Where's the, When Do I Get the Pin? If you go on a date with somebody, uh, yeah, uh, you're the guy, let's say. No, that, that, uh, no, you're the guy. Well, be the girl too, but you understand it from the guy's perspective. If you go to dinner with the guy, just a date, just, hey, how are you? My name's Bill. Do you want to go to dinner? 
it's okay for the girl to think the guy's going to pay. I mean, old world. I mean, maybe you don't do that anymore, but that's how it used to be. It was better that way. <laughs> Would it be appropriate for the girl to ask the guy for the PIN number of his bank account? I didn't say, would you like to do that? I said, would it be appropriate to do that? What would happen in a relationship if you asked for the PIN number on date number one? What's the chances of there being a date number two? How many of you know they just dive bombed? Isn't that true? Can I tell you, in your relationship with God in the beginning, He'll buy you dinner, but he won't set up a tab for you at the restaurant. He'll tell you what car you should buy, give you some advice, but he's not going to pay for it. That's inappropriate. You're just dating. Is that true? He may visit you at the rehab, but he's not going to give you his liver. See, this is where we've gone wrong. From God's perspective, yes, 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 he's got the liver ready. But you don't get the liver at date number one. It would be inappropriate to even ask. But see, we as Christians, we've understood the relationship from God's side. And we say, God, here's what it is. You know what? I, I, I know I rolled in in a 62 Pinto. But, you know, I got my eye on this G-Wagon. Think you, can, you think you could buy me one of those? We're at dinner. We just met. And we're already saying, you know what? I know you got the cash, so here's the deal. You want to you know, you hook a brother up with a brand new G? You know? That's completely inappropriate. How many of you say, yeah, if, they, if somebody did that to my daughter, knock them out. Um, excuse me, if my son, I would knock them out. Maybe I wouldn't knock them out because they would be a girl, but I would, uh, <laughs> I would not be happy about that. You know what, do you know what I'm saying? When we did this, we need, I know I can't stop. I'm, and the good stuff is yet to come, so you need to come yeah. back. <laughs> so the question still remains. When do you get the pin? How about if you become super good friends? How many of you are super good friends with me? <laughs> That's awesome. Richard. I'm out. So anyways. You said you How many of you super... Well, there was one person back here. That <laughs> Richard. Put there. Richard, do you have my PIN number of my bank account? You better not. Good. <laughs> Even a super good magic. friend of mine does not get the PIN. Tina, do you know the PIN? Yes. I do. Jess does. <laughs> you know, Tina knows the PIN. When do you get the PIN? When you get married. When you get married. When do you get the name? When you get married. When you get married. Mm -hmm. When do you get the stuff? Not, the, not dinner, the stuff. Yeah. You get it when you are willing to say some things. Yes. You're willing to say, for better or worse. Come on. For richer mm -hmm. or poorer. In sickness mm -hmm. and in health, mm -hmm. till death do us part. It's that, 
thing that introduces covenant, we got to get all the way to the place that I am willing to say, I'm going to give my life for yours. I'm going to give my money for yours. That's a bad situation in Tina's life, but I gave all of my money. That wasn't a lot. For all of Tina's money, there was a lot. There was a huge thing that happened there, right? I'm giving all of my dreams for all of your dreams. We're throwing them all in the pot, aren't we? We're going to mix that pot around. And in the end of the day, it's not 50-50. It's our pot. Isn't that right? You get these things when you're will able. You understand the journey of me getting here, becoming the person that can actually say, for rich or for poor, I don't care. In sickness, I don't care. For better or for worse, however this goes, I don't care. I'm, I'm beyond that. I'm not in this relationship because it gets better or because you're cute or because you're rich or because you're funny. It's got nothing to do with that anymore. You see, we are, we're able to get in at this level where all of these things that we were promised on the day of salvation, we should have said, no, now you're in. You can start your journey now to try and see if you're ever going to be willing to get here. That, now, imagine the context of that as we look forward to the years ahead in Christianity where we can tell people at the beginning of the, of the journey, here's what this is about. This isn't about, you know, put your, put, you know come up and say a prayer and, and the, whole, the whole world is now your oyster. We shouldn't have told people. We can tell people that, but you don't get it just because you said hello or went to dinner. Yes which is what we've told people. And then they realized that they left dinner and God paid, you know, coffee's free, the, mu- the muffins are free, free to you. God paid for them. But we get mad in the parking lot because the 62 Pinot is still there. I was expecting a G. And we get mad at God because, hey, you got, you got all this stuff and you ain't giving it to me. What's a G-Wagon to God? Ain't nothing to God. You mean he, doesn't, he must not love me then if he don't give me one. Right? Because he could just zip it. He, did, so twink, he wouldn't have to twinkle half. He just, that would be it. There it would be. <laughs> and we get mad at God because he didn't do that. I remember getting so mad at God in the beginning. I said, God, all I need is seven digits between one and 49. I know you know what they are. I could be a gazillionaire tomorrow. And you wouldn't have to do nothing but tell me seven numbers. That's how selfish I used to be. Anyways, I could still go for the seven numbers, but I'm not mad about it anymore. Yeah. What God said to me when I asked him for that, he said, if I gave it to you, you'd leave me. Ooh, yeah, that nasty Ian, yeah. This is the problem. As we go into where we're going, and there's some good stuff coming. That's right. For us to really understand. Yes. I, can I tell you something? You know, if you go to your first day in, in, in grade 11 science, they don't let you do heart surgery. You're going to be an, a heart doctor, but they don't let you cut. I wouldn't let you cut me up. They tell them, 
in grade 11 science class, if you want to be a heart doctor, you can be one. You want to be a brain surgeon, you can be one. Yes. And here's how it's going to go. You're going to finish high school, then you're going to go to university, and then you're going to go to doctor school, then you're going to become a specialist, and then you're going to study for every night, forget Netflix, for the rest of your natural life. Do you still want to do that? Not everybody wants to do that, but the guys, that girls that do want to do that, they opt in, don't they? They say, that's my dream. Don't they say that? It's only going to cost me 12 years? That's nothing. I get to be a die. I, mean, I get to save one person's life. I don't care if it costs me fifty years. Isn't that what it would happen if that was your dream? You see, what happens to us is that in the kingdom, why we have to lay this stuff out well is because I believe. I believe with all my heart. Your generation and the one, the X, Y, Z, whatever, start over, double A people, whatever they are, right? <laughs> They want this. Yes. They're not looking for a couch in the beach in Florida. They're looking for lives to do something. They're looking for meaning. They're looking to change the world. They're looking to solve some problems. They're, they're looking to climb some hills. Come on. You know, I, I drive up, walk down. You know, that's not how they want this. <laughs> right? Yeah, ask a young, if you're an older, if your hair color is really the same color as mine, ask one of these young people. Are you just looking for a lazy boy couch and just, you know, sleep it off? They're not looking for that. Man, if we could get the kingdom to be expressed in just this and set up this world, an environment where we can help somebody get from beginning to, to at least to this point where I am willing to get married. I'm willing to give it all. Yes. Not because you're stupid, but because you're smart. Yeah because you understand the deal, because you understand what it means, Jesus ended off saying, I am with you always. Can I ask you a question? Who's the you? Who is he talking to? He wasn't talking to the crowds, they're gone. He was talking to the disciples. I am with you always. Luke 15, 31, beloved, I am with you always and all that I have. Who is he talking to? He's talking to the son who didn't leave. That's right. What we're getting out of this deal is the best deal the world has ever seen. If we could just understand what it takes for Tina to put on a pretty dress and walk up the altar and say, I do. You should have seen some pictures of me back then. He wore a kilt to his wedding. I wore a kilt. <laughs> It was awesome. I'm not kind. Awesome. What did it take? You know, she didn't meet me the, the day before that. If she'd have met me the day before, what would have been a smart thing for her to do, walking in and finding a girl, at the, I mean, a, a guy in a kilt at the altar? <laughs> <laughs> Careful, yes. She should have run, right? 
She didn't run because we weren't new. We weren't, this wasn't her first, we had been through stuff together, right? Amen. Put your hand over your heart and say, Jesus, you said that if I lacked wisdom, that I could come to you, ask in faith, believing that you'll give me the wisdom that I need. So Lord, I need to understand what it means to enter a covenant with Almighty God. What do I need to understand? What do I need to know? What decisions do I have had to have made to step in to the greatest place ever offered to a human being? The Holy Spirit, I so need your help. I so need to understand. I want this with all my heart. Help me to understand. Help me to know God. Help me to know his ways. I want to be equally yoked with him. I want to be a bride that can honor him, respect him, obey him. Bring glory to him. Bring glory produce to fruit him. for him. Produce fruit for him. That's what I want. That's what I want. Amen. Amen. I can't help but think uh, as I sit there how the world watches us uh, to see the love that we have one for another and what that looks like that we prefer one another, that we love one another, that we're in things together, that we're this word that the Bible calls united together. That we're not fighting and scratching, scraping against one another because we are in covenant, we're in relationship with him, and he has everything we need. Then I no longer believe that I have to scratch and scrape for things or that there is such a thing as shortage and that we could honestly be transparent with one another and loving one another with no ulterior motives. Not, I'm not trying to take what's yours. You're not trying to take what's mine because we don't believe in shortage and we honestly believe that we could work together and that somehow when we are together, we are greater and we will glorify him and we will do great things, not on our own in our little groups, but together. And that would wow the world and that would draw them to him, this phenomena of unity and trust, and family. This, this message is a must in order for us to get to the place where we trust him so we can trust each other so the world can see. They won't see what they need to see as long as I can't trust you 
because I have to fight you to the finish line. They won't see what they need to see. But when they look and they wonder, why did I give you what was rightfully mine? And they shake their head and they wonder, because I believe, there's a lot more where that came from. That makes people scratch their head. When the love of God is demonstrated, it wows people. We, we, are, we have to get this, and we are getting this because the world needs to see the love of God demonstrated. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray that your life was impacted by this service and you are able to feel the tangible love of Jesus fill whatever space you're listening from. Maybe you found this message and you've never had the opportunity to come into a personal relationship with Jesus, or you've known about him, but been far from him. We wanna give you the opportunity to make his love a daily reality in your life. Jesus came to this earth and died on the cross so that you could be close to him. He wanted to wipe away every disappointment and bring you into a life of purpose and meaning, one that will impact this globe for good. If you'd like to begin this journey with Jesus today, then just repeat this simple prayer after me. Dear Jesus, I'm praying this prayer because I know that I've made mistakes and been living without you. I apologize and I trust that you will forgive me I accept your love and grace and ask that you would be my Savior and my Lord. Help me believe in you and love you every day. And help me to show the world what you're like and how great your love is. I commit to live for you from this moment forward. In Jesus' name, amen. All of our Light City family are joining with heaven and celebrating over the commitment you have just made to make Jesus the Lord of your life. We have resources available for you to help you on this journey. And most of all, we're praying for you. Send us a note at info at golightcity.com to let us know about the decision you've made today. We have resources we would love to send you with some easy steps on where to go from here so that you can discover God in a real and meaningful way. If you have a prayer request, our team would love to connect with you and partner with you to see God transform your life. God bless you, and we look forward to hearing from you real soon.